Verge podcast with Real Lit. Neil, we've got Matt De Silva on the show today. For listeners not familiar with Matt, who is he? So Matt is the founder of Notable Labs. He was the company's first CEO during the first couple of years of the company's existence as they were developing their core technology platform, uh, which we'll get into in detail during our conversation. Uh, he led the company through its $40 million Series B financing. Um, and as is often the case, as companies grow and mature, uh, Matt decided to step aside as CEO, and he's now currently chairman. Uh, still heavily involved in strategic level decisions for the company. And, and, and Matt, uh, Matt and I have known each other for uh, half a dozen years at, at, at this point. Um, I, I, I first met Matt, um, you know, when I got interested in, in this idea of the you know, increasing convergence of you know, technology with biology. Uh, I was doing a deep dive uh, on the sector uh, for Bioverge as we were looking to make investments. Uh, and I met Matt, who had just started Notable uh, at the time. Well, Notable is a, a Bioverge portfolio company. Why did Bioverge invest in Notable? Yeah, you know, I'll I'll let Matt get into the founding story. Um, but you know, long story short, Notable was, was actually the very first investment that I ever made through Bioverge. Uh, we've been supporting the company ever since through multiple financing rounds. I even went in house and helped run business development for a period of of, of time at, at Notable, leading up to the Series B, and so. I think for for me and, and for Bioverge, it was it was a, a it was an early company in this space uh, that has now become known as Tech Bio. But it was very clear um, Matt's Matt's passion. Uh, you'll hear the origin story, which I won't spoil. But you know, he was just he was he was so you know so passionate, uh, so dedicated, uh, really trying to solve a problem, uh, and he was coming at it from a, a orthogonal approach uh, in that he was he was an industry outsider, right? He didn't come from the healthcare world. He wasn't a you know PhD trained scientist. He was just trying to solve a fundamental problem. And so I, I thought that the platform that they created and this it was very early at the time we made our first investment, but it was this this bringing together at that time uh, stem cell biologists and you know um, cancer biologists with software and hardware engineers. To build this automated high throughput platform, um, and it was it was just the the exact archetype of company that that I was looking for uh, at the time. And you know, I think the stars sort of just aligned. They were just getting off the ground. Bioverse was just getting off the ground, and I could I could see the potential. Right, there wasn't a ton of data for us to dig into at that point. Um, there was enough to say that the technology looked promising. Um, but they didn't have any of the sort of validation studies that Matt and I will talk about. Um, but I saw the promise, right? If you could, if you could a priori predict how a patient will respond to a drug before ever giving that patient a drug, I mean, that is, that is quite literally the holy grail of drug development. So I could see the potential and I could see where they were heading. And so, you know, it was, it was an early stage bet, but it's been really amazing to, to see how the company has grown and matured uh, since our first investment. Um, and, and it's really incredible to see where they are today with their own pipeline of drugs. You and I have been steeped in this world of 
precision medicine long enough that it was known as personalized medicine <laughs> when, when we first came across it. Uh, you know, it's difficult to remember that when people are diagnosed with cancer today, they're not necessarily treated in this new world of medicine, that they're still in a very traditional approach to, to cancer therapies. Where do you think we are in, in seeing precision medicine take hold and, and making it the, the standard? Yeah, I mean, I, I still think we're relatively in the early days. Um, you know, I, I, I believe it was it was Gleevec that was the first, you know, oncology drug that was approved as a targeted therapy. And that was that was in 2001. Um, you know, there's since then, there's been a lot of new approvals for drugs based on different genetic mutations. Um, but even based on a genetic mutation, that drug does not necessarily work for 100% of those patients. Uh, in fact, it works for far less than that. Um, so even when there's a genetic mutation, the, the drug targeted to that mutation still is not necessarily effective for those patients. So that is, is certainly precision-based, right? A drug is targeting a specific genetic mutation, for example, but it might not be personalized in the sense that that drug is not necessarily going to work for that individual patient. And so I think what Notable is doing is, is, is really um, another way to go about, you know, targeting really more personalized medicine um, where you're actually trying to predict if a given patient will respond to a particular drug. So to me, it's sort of the next evolution you know, the, the, the technology that Notable uses is, is called, you know, phenotypic or functional screening. That's kind of been around for a long time, but they have developed a whole suite of technology around that. And I think, um, you know, whereas there are a lot of ideas that didn't work in the past, I think the time is now right for, for this, this concept and what Notable is doing. Um, and I think they've done a lot to validate the technology and the platform. So I'm really excited uh, to answer your question, I think it's still really early days, and I think a technology like what Notable is developing, I think, would be hugely powerful to sort of advance the whole field. Well, if you're all set, let's do it, Danny. Thanks for joining us today. I'm thrilled to have you on the show with us. Really nice to be here. Thanks, Neil. So today we're going to talk about precision medicine, uh, Notable Labs, predictive platform technology, and its move to develop a pipeline of novel therapeutics. However, before we dive into the details, uh, I'd love to start with the origin story of Notable. It's, it's a story that I can only describe as sad and yet beautiful at the same time. So, you know, Matt, for, for our listeners, can you, can you provide a little context about the why, as in why you started Notable? Absolutely. Um, it's always... I think useful to start with um, uh, with that as background because it, it informs everything that we're doing today um, at Notable. So I'm not the typical life sciences founder. My background is actually in behavioral economics, and I was trading currencies um, as a portfolio manager at, at Peter Thiel's hedge fund in, in California. Um, when my dad was diagnosed with three... Uh, brain tumors called glioblastoma multiforme, which is a, a very aggressive um, uh, disease. And unfortunately, because he had these three separate tumors, um, when I made a list of every clinical trial around the world that we might be able to enroll him in, it turned out that many of those were, um, were, were clinical trials that were not available to him because of those multiple tumors. They were called an exclusion criteria. Um, so 
what was left was all of these different drugs uh, that were being um, repurposed uh, from from other diseases. So some of those were, you know, treatments for um, alcoholism, uh, so very kind of off the beaten path as a, as a cancer therapeutic, uh, and others were maybe from another type of cancer, but for for brain tumors like a breast cancer drug. Uh, and so those those were available as potential treatments um, that a physician could prescribe for my dad, and we could use a combination of those different drugs. But there was no method to know which of them uh, would make sense for him, right? And that's really where the the precision part um, uh, of medicine is going to come in to, to this narrative. And and uh, we had his tumor sequenced, right? We tried to look for mutations that might give us. Uh, you know, clues as to which drugs would be active for him. We had uh, a company that that put part of his his cancer cells into into mice that had compromised immune systems, so that the tumors would grow, and you could run a clinical trial in in the mice. Uh, and we tried to have an academic um, grow his cells in the lab, um, so that we could test drugs on them. But unfortunately, all of those different methods uh, did not. Um, did not work or give us any additional treatment options. Uh, so ended up starting Notable to take a lot of the advances that had been uh, coming in in academic labs and settings and, um, and, and apply those in my dad's case. So, um, you know, began in the in the uh, in, in, in the summer of 2014 and uh, we were, while we were able to, to take my dad's sample and test different combinations of drugs on that sample after growing it in the lab, um, by the time we had treatment, found those treatment options for him, uh, he had had a fourth tumor that formed um, deep in his brain stem. And so we weren't, we weren't able to, um, to turn that into, into treatment, but we decided to keep going with the company. And it's, it's been you know, very, very exciting to um, to see the progress that we've made and and uh, you know have have his his journey as part of that legacy. Yeah, I mean, I I find it to be an incredibly powerful story, um, and and obviously sorry to hear about the loss of, of your father, but I, I think in many ways it's, it's it's inspirational and it's been amazing to follow the the notable journey over the years and see how the technology started and how you thought about developing, you know, a, a platform really with the patient in mind uh, and where the platform is today. So with that being said, let's start with sort of what, what we even mean by precision medicine, how it's applied to cancer. You know, I think most of our listeners have, have heard for a long time about the promise of precision medicine, its ability to improve, you know, outcomes in a variety of different diseases. Um, including cancer. Just so we're all on the same page, let's let's start with with definitions. What does the term precision medicine mean to you? I think uh, that we call it precision medicine is is because what are we defining it as being different than, right? So if it's precision medicine, what's non-precision medicine? What's what is uh, uh, and and to me that's standard of care, right? That's basically saying okay, um, you have been diagnosed with uh, acute myeloid leukemia. Here are the standard chemotherapies that we're going to treat you with and, and treating all and giving all of this, the patients the same, uh, the same drug. A precision medicine approach is, okay, we're going to take um, some kind of a technology 
that will tell us something about your disease and what drug might work for that disease. Uh, so we're tailoring therapy for that specific patient. I think what gets even more exciting to me is actually the step beyond precision medicine, uh, which is personalized medicine, right? Of, okay, for your particular, you know, cancer type and cells, here is a drug that we think will work for you. And here is, um, here is the probability that, uh, that we think that that is, uh, that actually is going to work. Right. Um, and, and, um, that's the, the predictive precision medicine part of, of Notable's uh, story where it is today. Yeah, and I, I definitely want to dive into that in a minute, but I do want to provide just a little more color uh, around what you were saying, this idea of precision medicine versus um, imprecision or imprecise medicine, which I think is largely, the, as you said, the standard of care. And so just, just a, a few stats for our listeners, right? The top 10 highest grossing drugs today only help between 4 and 25% of the people who take them. So imagine that. So in other words, every day there are millions of people who take medications that won't help them. The problem is we can't identify who will be a responder to that drug ahead of time or a priori. Uh, if you look at oncology specifically, right, this new wave of checkpoint inhibitors work for less than 12% of the patients that are prescribed for. Right. And again, you can't predict who will respond or who won't respond to those checkpoint inhibitors. So all of these patients are suffering all of these toxicities from these drugs that are not going to be effective for them. But of course, you don't know that ahead of time. Um, I, you know, Matt, I want to I want to get into a little bit of the history of you know precision medicine. And, and so bear with me here just because uh, I want to go through the Gleevec story, because I, I believe that was the first instance of a targeted therapy being approved in, in oncology. Uh, it was approved for uh, CML. Uh, I believe, chronic myelogenous leukemia in 2001. And again, just for our listeners, not to get too far in the weeds, but I think this helps provide some context about, you know, where we are today and, you know, what Notable is, is, is really working towards. So, you know, Gleevec blocks the activity of the BCR able fusion protein that's based on a genetic uh, alteration uh, in what's known as the Philadelphia chromosome. So, uh, that's just based on where where this discovery took place. Um, so Gleevec is specifically targeted to and blocks the activity of the BCR able fusion protein. Since normal and healthy cells don't express this protein, they're not affected. Hence, we have a highly targeted or precise drug that targets cancer cells, but not healthy cells. So in terms of, you know, that having sort of the context of, of you know, where we are today, where do you think we are in terms of the reality of precision or personalized medicine? I mean, how many more drugs are out there that are like Gleevec? You know, is that the future of oncology? And where, where do you think we are today in terms of that, uh, that spectrum? Yeah, I mean, so um, just to bring it back to, to, to my experience with it uh, as a field, when my dad's tumor was sequenced, we were looking for different mutations um, so that we could target them with um, with drugs made in the same image as Gleevec, right? So it absolutely, there's there's an era here that um, there's a there's a before and an after, right? And and the after Gleevec part that's very exciting is that there's been other um, mutations in cancer, um, uh, you know, that happen in, in, in enough patients where the economics of making a drug that specifically targets the um, the mutation's vulnerability, um, uh, you know, has led has led to dozens of approvals. So in my dad's case, his uh, 
his brain tumor had a mutation in EGFR, um, and uh, which is epidermal growth factor receptor. Uh, there are multiple drugs approved in lung cancer uh, for EGFR mutations. Uh, and so there's been a lot of effort in, in brain tumors to say, well, for patients with a brain tumor that has this mutation, let's use you know, a lung cancer drug that's already approved for that. Um, so that was actually one of the treatment options that my dad had. So it's actually a direct kind of descendant of, of the Gleevec story. The problem is that even if you do have a, a mutation um, and, and you have a drug that targets that mutation, you don't know what the chances of the patient responding to that drug, right? Not all patients with an EGFR mutation will respond to an EGFR inhibitor. And of course, there are lots of patients out there that um, we still don't, when we sequence their tumors, we don't find drugs um, uh, that will target them. So there's the two big kind of gaps that are that are, we're trying to trying to address with the next generation of, of drugs in, in oncology. And, and I think that's a great segue to now dive into Notable's platform because Notable is taking a, a, a different approach, right? It's not a not a genetics or genomics based approach. They have developed and you have developed a functional screening platform. So why don't why don't we start with the the core technology that underlies the platform? And can you can you describe that and then describe how it's different from uh, how like a, a Gleevec would work, for example, or how a, a genomics based approach works? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, think of it as a brute force experiment. Right. If we have a patient's uh, cancer cells outside of their body and we in a laboratory test drugs on those cells, they will depending on their, um, all of the different uh, uh, mutations present in those cancer cells respond to, to various drugs. But it's a phenotypic system in that we are, we are seeing how they respond, but we don't necessarily under, understand why. We, you know, we're, not, we're not looking at the wiring here. We're looking at, okay, how did that, how did that cancer cell change after the drugs were applied? Um, and if that, if the patient then gets the drug after we have, um, or, or immediately after we have tested the drug in the lab, then we can see how accurate we were. Did they respond to, to the drug or did they not respond to the drug? Uh, and, and over time, it's a system that can get more accurate because when patients are not responding, but you thought they were going to respond based upon the lab test, you can update and add the additional measurements that were necessary um, to be to be accurate in predicting the next patient's response. Okay, so can you, I, I think an example would be helpful. So could you walk me through how the platform works? So you start with the patient's blood sample. Um, what, what, what happens? How, how do you go about figuring out what drug or what combinations is effective against that individual patient's blood sample? How do you then inform a physician? How do they then potentially make a clinical decision based on that? Sort of walk me through that, that kind of uh, flow, if you will. Sure. Uh, I'll give you a very specific example, which is we, uh, we did a clinical trial um, with, with Dr. Peter Greenberg um, at Stanford University, uh, who is um, one of the, the preeminent physicians 
uh, in a disease in blood cancer called myelodysplastic syndrome. Um, we've also done a lot of work in leukemia with, with, our, um, with our approach where, uh, you know, Dr. Greenberg and, uh, and his team at Stanford would collect samples, um, you know, either from the peripheral blood or from a bone marrow um, biopsy, and those would be uh, sent to Notable's lab in Foster City. Um, we remove the red blood cells from the sample, but we keep the white blood cells because we want to measure uh, the drug's activity on the cancer cells versus the, the activity of the healthy cells because we want to look for drugs. This is kind of getting back to the, the, the precision definition of Gleevec. We want to look for drugs that are targeting the cancer cells but sparing the healthy cells. The healthy cells serve as a control for the experiment. And we can take that same sample and test, you know, thousands of different drugs and combinations of drugs on um, on those cells um, by um, uh, by by basically replicating the experiments over and over and over again. That's all done with a fully automated um, uh, testing system that we built, and then we uh, we we stitch all of that information together, uh, create a report, and we rank order the drugs based upon how well this patient responded in the lab relative to all the other patients that we've tested previously. And the drugs that um, we were testing were selected by the Stanford physicians, right? So they were, they were saying, what are reasonable things that we might consider treating this patient uh, with? And it was in patients that had, had progressed on standard of care. So they didn't have any uh, treatment options for them. So if we were able to find something that the doctors could prescribe, um, you know, then that was going to be another treatment option for those patients. And in the um, in the trial of which we've um, published, in, we published the, the study in 2020 in, in the journal called Blood, um, we showed a 92% uh, positive predictive value. So in the lab, you predict response and then the patient responds and uh, an 82% negative predictive value of um, uh, of if we don't think the patient's going to respond, that then they don't respond, right? So all of that together gives us an accuracy uh, overall of 85%, which we were extremely excited um, to, to see for those patients. And, and I want to talk about what that means, uh, the, the negative and positive predictive values. But before we do, I guess two, two questions for you. One, you had mentioned you're now obviously focused on blood cancers. Notable started, um, as you had mentioned, uh, in glioblastoma. Why the change from glioblastoma solid tumors to, to blood cancers? Yeah, um, in, in glioblastoma specifically, you get a very small amount of uh, uh, cells from the surgical suite because of how the tumor is physically removed. Uh, so to do a large number of experiments, you have to grow those cells in the lab. And that takes significant time that um, in, in the context of glioblastoma, patients don't have. So we ended up moving into, into blood cancers because when we get that, um, that tube of blood in the morning, we're testing the drugs on it in the afternoon, right? So there's no, um, there's no period of time in between getting the sample and needing to grow it. We can do things ex vivo where we, um, where we test the, the drugs on the sample um, you know, right away. And that, that reduces the, the chances that uh, as you grow cells in the lab, that those cells change. Um, so we've been very focused on, uh, on blood cancers as the, 
the, the proving ground, um, you know, for, for this technology, um, uh, because we get a large number of, of cells that we can do these experiments on directly from the peripheral blood or bone marrow. And, and so often happens one question leads to another. So I have, I have another question um, for you um, ba based on, on that answer. You say testing drugs. What, what is the range of drugs that you're able to test through the platform? Uh, and, and what I mean by that, what, what are the different types of modalities that, that you, you, could, you could focus on? Absolutely. And of course, uh, the BioVerge uh, uh, portfolio and, and companies span across lots of different modalities, right? So it's a very relevant question. Um, of, the majority of oncology drugs are still small molecules, right? Whether they're oral or IV, when we are testing them in the lab, they're, they're tested the same way. So a lot of our work is definitely with small molecules. Um, but we also can and do um, test uh, uh, antibody-based drugs, um, which are, are used often in blood cancers. And those can be monoclonal antibodies, um, uh, but they also can be you know, antibody drug conjugates or bispecifics. Um, uh, then, then, then there's, uh, of course, the CAR T cells have been very important, um, mostly in B cell, uh, blood cancers, but of course there's, there's quite a lot of interest and excitement around using those in myeloid leukemias as well. Um, and we are able to work with those, uh, in, in the lab setting. Uh, it's easier to do so with an, uh, uh, with an allogeneic product, an off-the-shelf uh, CAR T cell, than the the sample directly, you know, from, than the CAR T cells directly made from the patient's own T cells. Um, but we've we've been able to really work, frankly, across almost all therapeutic modalities. Um, and what's exciting to me is we can combine them. So we can combine small molecules with antibody-based, uh, you know, therapeutics, for example, in the same test tube and see how how does that combination compare to each of those drugs being tested on their own in the same sample? Yeah, and, and, and I want to move to Notable's pipeline momentarily, but, but I want to go back to this idea of a phenotypic screen or you know, functional-based testing. You know, no, Notable's not the first company to pursue this path. Um, it's been around in academia you know, even longer than companies have been developing you know, this type of, of technology in an attempt to predict patient response. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, how or why Notable is, is different than what has been done in the past? It's a very uh, important question. Uh, and the history here is long. I mean, it, it really started off as early as the 1960s, um, but peaked in popularity uh, and hype uh, in, in the 1980s. So we are definitely talking about a long history here. Um, the issues back then were, um, were several fold. The, the first was the drugs themselves were relatively nonspecific. This is pre-Gleevec era, right? So these are, uh, these are different chemotherapies that, you know, work in one way or another by poisoning cancer cells. And so they have a very narrow if uh, the term is therapeutic window, but again, that's just a, a version of saying killing cancer cells relative to healthy cells. Um, so the, the drugs were not as specific. Uh, and so picking among all of the different chemotherapies is much harder to do in a lab-based setting like this um, than picking uh, which patients are going to respond to a more specific therapy um, like like Gleevec or um, like an EGFR inhibitor, just to kind of keep the thread going from the pr prior part of the conversation. 
So the drugs have gotten more precise. That's a that's a very important, you know, why now uh, for for this approach. And then the um, the conditions that you test um, the cells in are very important. If you have um, if you don't have a biologically relevant uh, setting to to apply your drug, then you can create false positives and false negatives from uh, the condition that those cells are in, right? And uh, our understanding of, of, of different ways of, of keeping cells alive outside of the body has had major advances in the last decade, mostly actually from the field of stem cell biology. So kind of applying stem cell biology to, to a cancer context um, has been really important for you know, controlling the environment and making sure that you're not causing those cancer cells to change outside of the body, you know, um, uh, considerably. Uh, and then uh, finally, what you measure, right? So the the tests in, in the past were very focused on measuring proliferation um, as, a, um, as a readout to, to predict response. At the time, that was the the thought of the driver of cancer, right? That, you know, cancer cells really, it was a problem of, of out of control proliferation, but it turns out that there are many other um, uh, things that drugs do and things that cancer cells do that are not just proliferation. So uh, it's really important to also be able to measure other things that would predict response in cancer patients like apoptosis or, uh, you know, viability um, uh, if it's a, an immunotherapy, is it engaging the T cell, right? So, um, so being able to measure accurately how the drug works in a biologically relevant setting with um, not just chemotherapies, but precision, uh, um, you know, targeted drugs all makes for a very different environment to apply this same idea today. Yeah, and, and I think that the history is incredibly important and just to see where, you know, how far things have progressed over the years. So I want to I want to transition from the, the platform that Notable has really been focused on developing, uh, you know, really since inception. Um, you know, you validated the platform with, you know, third party studies, you know, in partnership with Stanford and, and many others. Um, in November, Notable announced that they acquired the worldwide rights to Verlacertib from Onco Heroes Biosciences. Uh, this was a, a, a clinical uh, stage product, um, I believe it was in phase three, for acute myeloid leukemia. Before we get into the specifics of, of the drug, can you, can you frame for our listeners how you think about using the platform to develop an a, a internal drug candidate? Absolutely. So, uh, Velasertib um, is is a precision medicine. It is it is a drug that was designed to target a specific kinase. So it's very much in the same vein um, as Gleevec, right? So this is this is a targeted therapy, not a chemotherapy, and its target. Um, is called PLK1. So pololite kinase 1 is the target. It hits that target, but it turns out that a patient's level uh, or of, of, of PLK1 expression has, in, in prior clinical trials with this drug, has not predicted 
whether or not they will respond to the PLK1 inhibitor to velocertib. So it's not a problem of the chemistry. Again, the, the drug was designed to hit a target that is relevant for cancer and has been shown to, to, uh, to work in some patients. It's, what it's missing is a way to, before you treat a patient, predict who will respond or not to, to this drug. And that's where, um, you know, Notable's uh, platform and functional testing that we've been validating in the clinic for five years um, uh, uh, will be uh, put to the test with this, with this uh, drug and others that we will uh, continuously be adding to our pipeline. Um, if that makes sense, like it's, it's a precision medicine without a biomarker. Yeah. So I, I want to be very clear here. So this is, so th- this is really a way to select a patient, uh, based on the assay, right. And, and identify a priori before they're given a drug, whether a patient will respond or not respond. If they are identified to not be a non-responder, then they're not enrolled in the clinical trial. If they're identified to be a responder, a responder through the assay, then you can enroll them in the clinical trial. So again, the, the, the whole idea here is to increase the probability of running a successful human clinical trial, which is quite literally the holy grail of drug development, right? It's, it's what every VC, is what every pharma company is racing to do. And if I'm understanding correctly, right, that is exactly what your platform, what your assay is designed to do. And and just to translate that one step further, right, this matters because if you can increase the probability of success, even by just a few percentage points, it has a massive impact on the value of the drug, right, from a risk-adjusted perspective. So not only is it hugely beneficial to patients, right, you're not giving patients a drug that won't work for them, but it's hugely valuable to us as investors, right? To companies like Notable who are developing the drug. So I want to make sure that point's not lost on our listeners. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit then about the, the development plan for Velocertib. Um, so you've in-licensed the product. Where are you in terms of moving it, it forward in the, in, the, in the clinical development plan? Yeah, so, um, so the clinical development plan uh, really is, is designed to take advantage of uh, Notable's testing capabilities to target the right patients. And you do that in, in, at a high level in three phases. Um, the, the, first, um, uh, the first part of, your, of your, your, your path is give all patients uh, the drug uh, in a small study and see um, how many of them respond and how many of them do not but test their sample um, in, in Notable's lab before they're enrolled in the trial to uh, generate uh, a cutoff point uh, where, you would, um, where you would predict response and non-response in future trials. The second stage is to, um, is to, is to lock that as a, as a diagnostic test and then use, um, use the test as a pre-enrollment criteria and then only give... Um, the drug to those patients, which is what you articulated earlier, uh, and then the final the final part is a pivotal study that will uh, be the final um, uh, clinical trial for both approving the drug and what's called a companion diagnostic that and that will be our test. So after that approval, then every patient um, uh, that is eligible 
um, with the given kind of cancer that we develop it in, and we'll, we'll focus here first in acute myeloid leukemia, we'll have a test run in Notable, and then only those that are uh, shown to be sensitive in that test will get the drug um, once it's on the market. And I think it would be helpful just to talk a little bit about the, the current landscape for AML. You know, there, there have been a, quite a few recent approvals over the last two or three years. Could, could you talk a, a little bit about how effective some of the existing therapies are? What is currently, uh, and if there is still an unmet medical need uh, for a drug like uh, Velocitib, um, you know, what is the prognosis for people today? I think that would just provide a little context for our listeners in terms of, you know, the competitive landscape. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you're right um, in that there's been, uh, I, I believe, eight recent approvals in acute myeloid leukemia. So there's there are many different therapeutic options. And it's very exciting because uh, before that, there was um, there was decades of, of no new approvals in AML. Um, so the new options are, are very exciting. Um, but they are not cures. They are, um, they are treatments that, uh, work only for a subset of patients. You know, many of the, the, the response rates, uh, are 20 or 30 or 40%. Um, and then the duration of response, how long those, um, the, the patients who do respond, you know, benefit, um, is often measured in months. And of course, to every therapy, there are, there are exceptions and outliers. Um, but, uh, even though we have many of these different drugs being approved, um, there are still um, many patients who who relapse uh, or who don't respond initially um, to, to those those therapies. So um, exciting times in AML, absolutely, and many more drugs are also being developed. Uh, but the key we think is actually going to be in combining these these drugs together, which again is is what Notable's technology and strong suit um, uh, has been in the clinic for the last five years. And, and Matt, I, I want to talk about another drug that you recently announced a co-development deal for uh, in partnership with Cyclomed. Could you talk a little bit about that relationship and, and, and that, uh, that drug? Absolutely. So uh, Cyclomed is, is developing um, phosphocyclopyrox in, uh, in bladder cancer. And they've, um, they've shown some, some exciting early uh, you know, clinical results with that drug. Um, uh, but there was also an interest in developing it um, in blood cancers. Uh, so Notable entered into a co-development partnership uh, where, um, you know, we, we focus on developing the companion diagnostic, the, the test part for selecting patients for, for the drug. And, um, and Cyclomed continues to focus on developing, you know, uh, the drug that they've created uh, uh, from, from scratch, from the beginning. Uh, and it's a great partnership because it lets Notable uh, see if we can predict responses for this particular um, uh, drug in, 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 uh, in blood cancers uh, and, uh, you know, publish those results and present those results. Uh, and, you know, hopefully in the long term, create a companion diagnostic for selecting patients after approval um, uh, you know, but they continue as a company to be able to, to develop, um, the drug in, in uh, bladder cancer, other solid tumor indications. Um, so, you know, we're, we're excited to, to continue to, to, to add, uh, drugs to our, uh, and diagnostics to our pipeline through, uh, partnerships, um, uh, that are, that are co-development oriented. 
And and I guess that that's a good segue into the the, the business model. You know what the future holds for Notable. Um, you know where, where do you see the company in in five years? I mean, are you planning to become a sort of a fully integrated biotech company? Are you planning to in license additional you know therapeutics? Are you planning to uh, stay focused within blood cancers? Is there a potential to expand to solid tumors, for example? Talk to me about where you think the company could be in the next three to five years. So we are very excited about um, about Velastertib because not only did it has it been in, in a large number of, of leukemia patients. I mean, this has been in over a thousand patients in previous clinical trials. So we know a lot about um, which types of cancers it's active in and which types of cancers it's not as active in. And uh, some of those active cancers are solid tumors. So we, we now have a very clear mandate as to um, you know, where to go build more tests in solid tumors. And, and we, as we've previously discussed, started as a solid tumor company uh, and have been doing, uh, you know, testing for years, kind of waiting for the expansion back into solid tumors after proving that this works in blood cancers. Um, so we, we have a, a you know, clear path forward there with, uh, with Lacertib, but we will continue to build out our pipeline through additional um, uh, in licenses and co-development partnerships, and then eventually really using this actually for discovery and starting, um, you know, programs from scratch ourselves. Long-term, the business model for me uh, is very exciting because once we have our first drugs approved um, with, a, with the companion diagnostic, if you're sending in that sample for a patient to say, oh, are they going to res- respond or not to Velastertib? we can use that same sample to test other drugs, right? And those, those might be drugs that are already on the market. They might be other drugs that, you know, are being, are being developed by us or others. But the, um, the utility of, of that test goes up over time. Uh, so we can start to figure out, you know, right when the patients are diagnosed, which treatments they should receive, uh, whether that's one drug or a combination of drugs, we can do more testing after um, if those drugs stop working and find the next line of therapy and on and on and on again. And that's really uh, that to me actually is very much the, the sort of personalized me- medicine, uh, uh, holy grail, long term vision of when you're diagnosed. Here's the five drugs or combinations that are going to be most active for you. And here's the probability of you responding to each one. And that's all backed up by, you know, years and years of data. Uh, and it just gets better over time. And, and to me, that's also the, the fundamental platform aspect of the, the technology. Um, and, and sort of, you know, over time, as you, you mentioned, you're ingesting more data, right? You're building a larger and larger data repository and, and moat, right? The moat is based on, on not just IP around specific drugs, but there's a data moat. Uh, as well, that, as you said, just sort of reinforces itself as you ingest more patient samples and the data set grows. So I think that's that's hugely powerful. Um, Matt, before I let you go, I want to I want to get your thoughts on this this term uh, that is relatively new in the industry, which is tech bio. Uh, and, and to, you know, to me, this is this is the intersection of biology with technology or, you know, you know, health and tech or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, I started doing a deep dive in this area really when we first met a bunch of years ago. Um, I think the field has really exploded uh, in recent years. There's a lot more, you know, what you call quote unquote tech bio companies 
uh, that have been started in the past, you know, certainly three to four years. There's a lot more investor interest. Um, what, what does the term tech bio mean to you? It uh, is a is a term that I think defines a, a an industry and a, and a space that uh, has been progressing for years, right? So uh, I think we we were part of um, tech bio before it had a name, right? We went through uh, Y Combinator in the second batch that they started uh, including life sciences companies. The first batch had had Ginkgo. The second batch had um, us and Adam Wise and Shasky and, uh, you know, kind of has grown considerably since then. Um, and uh, there's been dedicated venture capital funds that I think really have have focused and, and uh, capitalized on this space. I mean, I'll give you a more personal definition uh, because, you know, Notable was started like a lot of tech companies where you have somebody who has a problem, right? In this case, it was, how do I find a treatment option for my dad? And what's the technology that I will use to solve that problem, right? And uh, the fact that that's in biology, <laughs> uh, it, you know, has, it really defines us as a, as a tech bio company, right? We built the technology and we applied it um, uh, to this particular field so we've always had a tech startup mindset that blends, um, you know, biology and engineering because we started with that focus on patient need and, and how, do we, how do we solve it? How do we achieve product market fit? You know, many of those concepts that are coming from, from being in the Bay Area and, and being in the, um, you know, the tech startup ecosystem, how do you apply that to a life sciences company? I think was was the seeds that led to uh, enough companies taking that approach that it needed a name, <laughs> and and you know uh, I think kudos to to um, uh, I think uh, Voss um, uh, Bailey's one uh, coining it, and and it's uh, it's it's been great to see now more and more kind of theses about uh, the the various things that led to TechBio um, driving it forward. But I think another thing that is really important about it is that there are, you know, many of these companies are are founder led um, uh, and very motivated to to solve problems of biology with a playbook from uh, from tech startups. Yeah, I think it's 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 really fascinating, and you know, not only the playbook, but you mentioned this. I mean, I I love the cross disciplinary team approach of these types of companies, right? It, it's it's cancer biologists, it's stem cell biologists, it's chemists, and it's software and hardware engineers. Right. And so you're merging these different disciplines. And I think they're, you know, creating, you know, immensely valuable businesses uh, in doing so because it brings together just different ways of thinking about the world. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it, it's great to see scientists learn to code and it's great to see, <laughs> uh, you know, engineers learn how to design experiments. But that is naturally what happens um, in, in the culture of, of these companies. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the, the culture is, is so important here. Um, so, Matt, I think we could probably talk for the next four days straight about this stuff, but uh, I want to be cognizant of your time and uh, wrap up and just you know, say a huge thank you for, uh, for your time and for joining me on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Neil. Well, Neil, what did you think? 
I think that was a really great discussion. You know, I, we, we were fairly narrowly focused on sort of precision medicine within the oncology field, but I think it was a pretty wide ranging discussion uh, within that. You know, we, we got into the weeds on on sort of a lot of these topics. But I think, you know, as you heard uh, Matt say, I mean, I, I think the time is now right for this type of functional based uh, approach. You know, it's been around, as Matt said, like in the early days, since like the 1960s. There was a lot of interest in the 1980s. There were a lot of uh, technical reasons why it didn't take hold then. Uh, it sounds like a lot of those issues have now um, potentially been solved. And I think uh, I think the power of the predictive nature of the platform could be game-changing. And what I really love about what Notable has done over the years is they really spent the first part of their life validating the platform. So not going out and trying to develop a drug. They, they really had third-party validation that the platform is predictive. Both, you heard Matt mention, um, the, the positive and negative predictive values of the platform. So, you know, if patients respond or if patients don't respond. Um, and they have third-party published data from Stanford and from others um, that validates the, the platform. Now, how is that going to translate into clinical trials and translate into uh, Verlastertib and their own pipeline, I think, you know, remains to be seen. But, you know, I'm incredibly excited about what they've done uh, and, and, and the direction they're going and being able to apply that, that predictive platform to a specific drug that they now own. Is it surprising that they've moved into therapeutics here? Does it say something about the economics of diagnostics versus therapeutics? Oh yeah, that's. I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, there's, 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 there's. I think no question that you know the the, the economics around developing a proprietary novel drug far exceed those around developing a diagnostic. Um, so I, I'm not at all surprised the 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 direction Notable is heading here in terms of okay, let's let's build a platform, let's validate the platform. And then let's in-license a, a drug that we own, use the platform to develop that drug, get it approved, and then let's, you know, rinse and repeat. And, and let's do that for future drugs, right? And so let's really, really build a platform here. So it's not, it's not, a, it's not a, a single asset play. It's a initial lead asset to prove the viability that the platform works and to use as a case study to say, hey, this worked for Velocitim. Uh, this can work for, you know, XYZ drugs. Um, and so I, I think uh, it's not surprising at all to me that they're moving in this direction because there's a lot more value to be captured in, in developing drugs. So it make, makes a lot of sense to, com- to, to combine the companion diagnostic with, with, with ownership of a, uh, a therapeutic how might having a predictive platform change drug development in terms of of really improving rates for success? And, and from an economic point of view, how significant could that be? Oh, it's hugely significant, right? I mean, if you think about all the time and cost savings um, and, 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 and patient lives, you could potentially save if you could identify which patients are more likely to respond to a given therapy. So, I mean, first of all, you could have you know, smaller... Uh, smaller numbers of trials in terms of patients. You could enroll less patients in a trial if you can identify who is likely to respond versus not respond, right? So you could cut trial sizes in half, let's say, um, in, in many instances. So you could run trials much, much faster. Uh, that would obviously save a tremendous amount of, of cost in doing so. You could get drugs to market a lot faster. And, you know, 
Well, you know, I, I, you heard me talk about the sort of idea of the net present value and, and how that accrues uh, a tremendous value to the drug developer um, and, and to the investors who invest in, in that company and, and, and that therapy. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's really beneficial to patients, right? If you can tell a patient that they're not going to respond to a particular drug and save them all of the associated toxicities of being on, you know, enrolled in that trial and being on that drug, right? They could they could go out and find another drug that may work better for them. So, you know, it's just, you, you almost can't measure how valuable this type of thing would be in terms of, uh, you know, saving patient lives and, and really helping with the, the quality of life for, for, for patients. Um, and then there's the, the economic argument, which is, you know, I, I just walked through, which I think is hugely powerful. Drug companies are always looking to give themselves some edge to, improve success rates or avoid clinical trial failures. Are you seeing this as kind of a routine approach to drug development to use some sort of pre-enrollment screen like this? Do you, do you think it'll become a, a standard approach for drug developers in the future? I mean, I would love to see it become a standard approach in the future, right? I mean, as you know, as I think a lot of us know, right, the, the, the biggest value inflection point when developing drugs is, is in, you know, human proof of concept data, right? So that's typically, you know, post phase, phase two, right? So you have, you know, safety and you have efficacy in human clinical trials, right? So anything that drug developers can do to increase the probability of success in human trials, um, I think is, is, um, is, is going to be incorporated into how drugs are developed. And so that that's things like what we've seen, you know, biomarkers, better preclinical models, um, understanding different, you know, cell-to-cell interactions, for example, um, you know, trying to bring artificial intelligence and machine learning into the drug development or drug discovery process, right? All these things are in an effort to better predict how patients will respond to a given drug. And so that's exactly what Notable is doing. They just have a slightly different way of doing it through a functional-based test, not a genetics-based test, for example. Um, so, yeah, you know, if this type of thing works in the clinic, um, and if it can be scaled across different uh, indications within and outside of oncology, yeah, I, I would say absolutely the industry will adopt this. Well, until next time. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for listening. The BioVerge podcast is a product of BioVerge Inc., an investment platform that funds visionary entrepreneurs with the aim of transforming healthcare. BioVerge provides access and enables everyone to invest in highly vetted healthcare startups on the cutting edge of innovation. From family offices and registered investment advisors to accredited and non-accredited individuals. To learn more, go to BioVerge.com. This podcast is produced for BioVerge by the Levine Media Group. Music for this podcast is provided courtesy of the Jonah Levine Collective. All opinions expressed in this podcast by participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinion of BioVerge Inc. or its affiliates. The participants' opinions are based upon information they consider reliable, but neither BioVerge or its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied on as such. Nothing contained in accompanying this podcast shall be construed as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation to purchase any security by BioVerge, its portfolio companies, or any third party. Past performance is not indicative of future results.